Welcome to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast, where we get to bring you sermons and content to help bring you closer to Jesus, develop your faith, and keep you up to date with everything young adults. Join us Sunday nights at 7 p.m. in the SCG Church Warehouse for our young adult service, or at our main campus services. We hope you enjoy. All right, well, I uh, want to welcome you guys to Young Adults, and if you are new, my name is Matt, and just a dude that gets to hang out with you guys, and uh, I get to, I love what I do. Now, um, we are in week two, like you heard me say a little bit earlier, of a series entitled DM. It does not stand for direct message. Um, it stands for dating and marriage, which is where hopefully all marriage, or dating goes to, right? It goes to, it goes to marriage. Now, um, here's kind of why I want to do this series. Um, if you are like me, um, you do not want to have the type of marriage that your parents had growing up, right? Um, here's the bad news. Um, I learned through going through six, seven years of counseling and reading a ton of material and things like that, that you are most prone to having the relationship that you witnessed your whole life, whether good or whether bad. And so if you have a, have a, have a let's say, a closet full of bad habits, um, what I want you to know is through God's um, Holy Spirit, the power that he gives us, but also through the practical advice I think scripture give, gives us, you don't have to have the bad habits you've had in previous relationships or that you witnessed your entire life come into your dating in the future or your marriage. And so there's the hope for you and I. Now, before we hop into really where I want to go, I'm going to give you a question. I just want you to turn and discuss. Here's the question. What's your vision of the best date night? All right? So like, what are you guys doing? What time is, are, are you guys, is the date start? Where are you guys going? How much is he spending on you? Whatever it is, right? So the best date night, um, and if you are dating and your girlfriend, if they sit, then this is, this is what you're doing, obviously. All right? So you're welcome. All right? So I'm going to give you guys a minute, turn, discuss, ready, set, go. All right, so uh, I want to backtrack really quick. We are going to be in the book of Genesis. If you have Bibles, I want you to go and open them up to the very first book, the book of Genesis chapter 24 is where we're going to be starting. Now, when you think about it, um, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, where we meet a guy, not God, he's in there as well, a guy named Adam. Now, when you think about it, Adam had it pretty easy. He was lonely. He wanted a relationship, so he didn't have to spend hours, you know, swiping right, you know, on girls he found attractive, nor did he have to get all dressed up to go on awkward first dates. What's recorded in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, is that God created a woman for him and then brought the girl to him and was like, Adam, this, this is a girl. She is pretty and she is sweet and she likes long walks on the beach. And tonight you guys are going to get married and you guys are going to have sex. And Adam's like, uh, God, what's sex? And so he gets out a whiteboard. No, I'm playing. That's not what happens, but it's not in the Greek, right? But when you think about it, right, Adam, he had it, he had it pretty easy, right? He got his girl and his girl was perfect for him and he was perfect for her. For her. Think of it this way, right? God solved his singleness issue instantaneously and in a perfect way, right? Raise your hand if you are single in here. All right. Raise your hand if you are in a relationship but want to be single. No, I'm playing. Uh, just kidding. Oh, looking around like, uh, I'm just kidding. Right? But for those of you guys who are single, wouldn't it be great one day, right? Like you're just sitting at your house you're after watching, I don't know, Netflix, whatever it is, and God, you just hear this on your door, right? And all of a sudden, it's God. And he goes, look, while you were sleeping or watching some stupid show, I made the perfect mate for you. They have no credit card debt, even better, no daddy issues. This is the perfect person for you, right? Well, unfortunately, that's not how it works for most of us, right? Like, God doesn't just knock on our doors and says, ta-da, here's your Eve or here's your Adam, right? We all have to go through this process called dating. And as a married person, I'll let you know, dating sucks. Being married is so much better. 
So uh, we got to go through this process called dating. Now, here's an interesting thing in my study for all of this. I realized and learned that dating is actually only, it's relatively new. It's a new practice in human history, right? Dating has only been around for about 100 years or so, which is kind of crazy, right? Before dating as we know it, uh, which is probably even in the last 20 years been changed and it's been different than it was, you know, before. You used to talk in person and stuff. Um, <laughs> as we know it today, the interactions between male and female relationships in the past were really highly regulated. They were rules for physical contact, like, like if you were going to sit next to each other, if you were going to hold hands, if whatever it was. Um, there was the use of chaperones on dates, which are wild. Can you imagine, like, having mom, dad just, like, sitting at the table next to you guys with binoculars, like, what are they talking about? Uh, or whatever. Um, and marriages historically were always arranged by parents. Wild. All right, let me just by a show of hands, how many of you would be hyped on the type of person your parents would pick for you? Hyped. You're like, dude, they would pick a 10 for sure. All right, how many of you guys would be horrified mom, dad pick person you're going to spend the rest of your life with? All right, yeah, you can put your hands down. I don't even know the type of person my parents would pick for me, but it'd be wild. Now, um, we live in a dating culture, right? And I think that we could probably agree that dating has gotten a little more complicated probably during this era than in previous eras. And I think it's been complicated for a plethora of reasons. One, there's this whole online dating thing now, which seems really weird to me. Um, and I think it's fine if you meet somebody online, but 50% of people um, find the person that they're dating currently online, which is just, that's a crazy statistic. It's never happened in human history before, but in the last decade or so. And then you have another thing that I think previous generations didn't have, at least not really up until the 70s or so in the sexual revolution, um, and that's that we have a highly sexual promiscuous culture. And so now people, um, I read this stat, and I found out the stat is not global. It's actually targeted to America, which kind of just breaks my heart. Um, that only 3% of people are virgins on their wedding nights in, the state, or in, the, in, in our country, right? Which is pretty crazy to think about. Opposed to in the 50s, the numbers were way higher. And then any time before that, way, 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 way higher. So now we turn to the Bible, right? We're going to discover what the Bible does. It, what, is it, like, what does it teach us about dating? Now, I want to be upfront and honest with you. There is no passage in Scripture that is a dating text. Like, thou shalt meet their date on Christian Mingle, and you shall date for two years, and then give her a shiny rock, right? There's no, like, there's no passage and commandment in Scripture that teaches us exactly how uh, to date, right? But there is a lot of practical advice that we can get from Scripture, now, a few things. Number one, in the old way of doing things and in the old world, in many places today, um, marriages were, are always arranged by parents, right? Usually dads would get, to, to, they would get together and they would agree that my son is a great match for your daughter. And the deal would be sealed with something called the dowry. Now, a dowry is a gift in some cultures. It's given by the bride. In other cultures, it's given by the groom and it's given, uh, given by the groom to the, the bride's um, father, Right? Many years ago, I was on a missions trip with Chelsea, my wife, and um, this was before we were, uh, I just proposed a few months or so before that, and uh, so we're in Africa together, and um, Doyle, her dad, is also the senior pastor of our church, he, he is uh, walking around, we're at this local pastor's kind of convention, and, and we were there to teach theology and hermeneutics and apologetics and stuff like that, and, and so um, he's like introducing me to people, and he's like, this is going to be my, my future son-in-law, um, and he's, you know, he's going to be marrying my daughter, and I remember the local pastors, there's a group of them, they're like, oh, he's going to be marrying, marrying your daughter, and if, this is, the, uh, this is the, the only question they ask, how many cows and goats did he give you? As if, like, I could purchase her, but I'd be like, all right, Doyle, I gave you 15 cows, and he's like, deal. You know, like, like I just thought it was, like, hilarious. Like, that was the question that they asked. Okay, like, now is he a good man? Does he love the Lord? It's like, okay, um, how many cows and goats did he give you for her? And I was like, and they were like, and then Doyle goes, yeah, how many cows and goats did you give me? And I was like, uh, is weird. Like, I don't know, I told her I'd take you, her off your hands, and you'd leap for joy and hug me. You know, like, like that's, that's what I did, right? And so today, today, 
this whole idea of dating is historically different than has it been in our country, and it's different than it is globally, right? In fact, I was watching this show um, and, uh, in preparation for this, and in, part of it's on dating, and um, one of the couples had been married for 45 years, and it was their parents that picked out their relationship, which is crazy. In fact, there are actually some studies that have actually proven that, pe- that, that arranged marriages last longer. I think it's a cultural thing in certain cultures and things like that, but that's a pretty interesting thing. Anyway, so today, we're in the book of Genesis 24 and 29, and I, like I said, there aren't dating texts. However, the text that we will jump into today, into today we're going to find people who are engaged in the process of finding their future husbands and wives. One person is named Isaac, and the other person is named, um, that we're going to study in, in the other chapters of Genesis, Jacob. And we're going to look at what principles we can learn from their story as they date different, actually just one woman each, is basically the story. Well, you'll see. Now, a few things. I'm going to give you an umbrella overarching kind of statement, and it's this. If you want to have a good marriage, it begins with dating in a godly way. That's really simple. I'll say it this way. A good marriage begins with good dating that follows godly principles. Reverse the argument. Godly principles will help you have good dating, and if you date well, guess what you're going to have? A marriage that's probably pretty solid, and it's going to be strong, right? And so our story begins in Genesis 24. Abraham, the dad, figures out it's time for his son, his boy, to get married. And he does what any dad would do. He hires a matchmaker, actually. It's a guy that already works for him. And it's a servant named Eleazar to find his boy a really awesome girl, right? Now, in the 21st century, and thousands of years later, read this, and this looks outdated and dumb, right? Like, can you imagine having your parents arrange your future spouse? You're going to spend the rest of your life with somebody. And I guess... It does sound outdated, and it does sound ignorant or sophomoric when you think about, all, I guess it hinges on this. It all depends on who you send, who is going to be your matchmaker. Oftentimes, it actually is your friends and your family. I mean, we've all, like, I'm sure you have been the friend, maybe, where uh, your friend is in a relationship with some idiot, and you have communicated to them that they're an idiot, and they don't, they're in love with them. And so they're like, oh, he's the best, and he's like, he sucks, you know, like, uh, or whatever, and, and, and you're like, no, I'm, I promise you, like, he's not who you think he is, whatever it is, and the, and, and the relationship breaks up, and then you go, I told you so, right? And that's oftentimes because the people closest to us that actually love us, our friends, and if we trust our family, and sometimes even our pastor, that they can give us a better insight into ourselves and maybe the person that we're dating than ourselves because we are in the relationship. Sometimes our feelings of love override our reason, and that sets us up to make dumb decisions sometimes that ruin our lives, Right? Anyways, in Genesis 24, Abraham tells a servant this. Go with me. If not, it should be up there. Abraham uh, says this, that I may swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife from my son from the daughters of Canaanite and among whom I dwell, but I will go to my country and to my kindred or to my group of people and take um, a wife from my son. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came. Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. So it's pretty obvious, right, that Abraham's number one rule for his boy is you have to marry someone that is of the same faith as we are, the Jewish faith. Now look, it wasn't because Abraham was racist or anything along those lines. Rather, the rule was no Canaanite girls for my boy because the Canaanites have a different value system, a different worldview, a, different, um, a whole different belief system than we the Jews do. And so he even says at the end, look, don't even bring my boy over to the Canaanite place, Las Vegas, wherever the equivalent is today, right? Um, don't, bring, don't bring him over. The people have a different system of worldviews, beliefs, desires, all of it. And I don't want my boy to be taint, tainted by them. Tonight, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to make this really applicable for you. I'm going to give you five. 
Five godly principles that you can apply into your dating relationship now or your future relationships that I think will set you up for godly, for, for dating well, let's say. And they all start with an S because I'm a pastor. First one's this, um, separation, all right? Here's the verse that oftentimes pastors or at least people ask me about when we talk about dating. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Paul says this, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Raise your hand if you have any idea what that means. You liars. Okay, put your hand down. Uh, no, I'm playing. Um, in the uh, a different translation, and the translation is entitled God's Word. Um, that's a version. Uh, I like the way it says it. it. says this, stop forming inappropriate relationships with unbelievers. Like, that could not be more clear, right? Paul says, stop forming inappropriate, romantically connected relationships with unbelievers. And so the idea of a yoke, by the way, it's a farming, it's a farming illustration. It is, it's left us on deaf ears in the 21st century because most of us didn't grow up on farms, right? So the idea is a farmer would find two animals and put a yoke around them because they would have to pull a plow together. So the farmer would intentionally and actively pick two suitable animals that can work together. For example, they wouldn't put a horse and an alligator together, an ox and a goat together. He's going to get two animals of the same species, strength, and temperament. Why? Because they need to pull and plow in the same direction to do the work together. If he gets wrong or mismated animals, they're not going to work well together. And so this is the illustration that we can bring in a marriage because in a marriage, it is the yoking together of two people in the same direction doing God's work together. See, believers and unbelievers are not going in the same direction. They are fundamentally incompatible. They have different a different worldview, what they believe about origin, destiny, meaning, and morality, purpose. All of it is different, and it's distinctly different. Their values, their desires, they are mismated. So I'm going to say this in such a clear way to, to, to offend everybody. <laughs> if you are currently in a relationship with a non-believer and you are a believer, you are fundamentally incompatible, and you're being disobedient in doing so. Scripture Gives us the commandment here. I mean, think of it this way. What do you guys really have in common then? Well, I don't know. We both like country music and um, we like, you know, uh, like going to stagecoach and we like Cooler's Light, you know, whatever. Like, like what's the, what's the, how deep is your relationship going to be, right? I hope, I hope, let me give you an, it's not on my notes, but I'll give it to you anyways. Being value-oriented is vastly superior than being interest-oriented. If you want a relationship that'll last Find someone that has common values, not necessarily common interests. Most people, they date somebody because like, oh, we like the same sport together. We listen to the same music together. It's like, look, like I said last week, you are of utmost valuable. Your time and your heart, you should invest in these things and not just spend these things, right? You want to spend your life with someone that has common values, not necessarily and only common interests. That'll, that'll, that's the bedrock that we believe the same things. Are we pursuing God together? All the other things will work out. I promise you. Like my wife and I, on an interest level, like my perfect, okay, her idea of like a vacation would be like staying in a five-star resort, getting a massage, um, sitting out by the pool and tanning, and that would be it. Mine would be, I don't know, give me a dirt bike and a direction, and I'm just gonna ride that way, right? Or like, I don't know, climbing Yosemite, right? She'd be like, but my nails. I'm like, <laughs> right? We listen to the different, we both listen to worship music, but like, 
Uh, and that's about it. Um, the type of movies we like, I like like war movies, like, you know, like, and she likes like this, the opposite, complete opposite, right? So when it comes time for us to watch TV when we get home or from work or whatever it is, right? She's like, let's watch something, you know, that's funny. I'm like, let's watch something bloody, you know, like, let's like, like, whatever, right? And so like on that type of level, like we're not that similar and compatible in an interest way. We are fundamentally compatible though because of the other, the value-oriented things. What we believe about life, what we believe about God, how we're going to raise our daughter, what we believe about marriage, way more important things, right? Um, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but I'm going to tell you anyways. Uh, I started watching this show, and uh, it's called Love on the Spectrum. It is a phenomenal show. Like, I'm telling you, it is brilliantly made, and the people are the sweetest human beings You've got to go watch this. I'm telling you right now, these people have won me over. I love these people. Like, they're the sweetest human beings on the planet, right? And this one girl, um, she goes, uh, she, she starts asking people, like, well, tell me about, like, what your aspirations are in life. What do you believe about X, Y, and Z? And she starts asking very intentional questions because she doesn't want to waste her time. I love that. She is a value-oriented individual, not an interest-oriented individual. I love it. It's a phenomenal show. They've won me over. It's a beautiful show. Um, and... So I had a buddy that was trying to get me to watch a show, and my hesitancy on watching the show was like, are we, are, we, are we making fun of people? Like, that's not what I'm interested in, and it's the exact opposite of that. These people actually find love. It is a beautiful show. All right. Um, okay, uh, yeah, value-oriented, uh, interest-oriented. And look, look, if you date or marry a non-Christian or at least an immature one, life for you is going to be a game of tug-of-war. I want to save you from that because I witnessed that my entire life. My mom became a believer in her marriage with my dad. And it was a game of tug of war until my dad's passing, right? I want to save you for that. You're going to be pulling in different directions and at different speeds, right? And this is why the Bible says you must be equally yoked and romantically separate from the world and people who is not equally as yoked as you. Let me define equally yoked because we have, a miscon- we have a, an incorrect understanding of what it means. It means like, do they know the same big Bible words that I do? That's not it, right? Like, if you were to look at my what I know about the Bible and my wife knows about the Bible. I'm probably gonna, like, I'm theology and apologetics is like my thing. We both went to Biola, but we got different degrees. And so on, on my spare time, I'm gonna read something about theology and apologetics and philosophy. On her spare time, she's gonna read like some history book or something, right? So I'm gonna, I mean, know more about the Bible in big words, but we're equally yoked. In fact, some ways I think she's actually even more uh, mature in her faith uh, and we balance each other out. It's about, do you have an active heart to pursue the Lord together? an equal submission in your life. That's what it means to be equally yoked. We both want to pursue God 100%. That's what it means. Okay, godly principle number two obviously starts with an S, supplication. This is an old churchy term for prayer. It just means petitioning God to make your request to him known. Go with me to verse uh, 12 in chapter 24. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant, Isaac. By this I shall know that you have steadfast love to my master. Like, like you, like, like me, you're probably thinking, no chance. That's so specific of a prayer. The girl that goes, I go, hey, can I get some water? She goes, yeah, here is some. Let me give some to your camels too. Way too specific of a prayer. Follow me in verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, behold... Rebekah, who was born to Bethul, the son of Malchi, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden with whom no, uh, no man had known, a.k.a. she was a virgin. She went down to the spring and filled her jar up and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her head, 
our hand, I'm sorry, and gave him a drink. Um, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the, 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 the trout and ran again to the well to drink, draw water. She drew a well for the camels as well. The man gazed at her in silence to learn what the Lord had prospered his journey or not. This is kind of a weird prayer, right? Before he answers it, God finishes with the girl just showing up, and he's like tripping like, no way, right? This is unbelievable. Like literally, I was like, amen, and all of a sudden, this girl pops up, right? Like it's crazy, right? Now, we don't have time to go throughout the whole chapter because that would take us a long time, but what you need to know is this whole chapter is bathed in prayer, right? The whole thing is about prayer. Go to the next uh, verses with me. Go to, go to verse actually 62, so go a little bit. Uh, Genesis 24, 62. Now Isaac had returned from Berlehora and was dwelling in Negev, and Isaac went out to meditate, highlight that word, in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, who is this man who is walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, it is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. The important word that I want to stop and look at is the word meditate. The word here doesn't mean meditate like the Eastern religions mean, which is empty your mind or like the law of attraction uh, or something like that today. That's not at all what it means. What biblical meditation refers to and what it always means is it's best translated to deep contemplative thought and prayer orientated towards God. So whenever you hear the word meditation, do not think like, you know, you're sitting somewhere like this with scented candles or something. That's not, that's not what it means, right? And essential oils like peppermint everywhere. That's not what it means. What it means is deep thought and prayer orientated towards God. Now, the question is, why is he in deep thought and prayer towards God? Because he is about to get married, and he knows he's making a lifelong commitment with lifelong ramifications. Here is what we can glean from this, and this is of utmost importance for you and I, that he invites his vertical relationship with God into his horizontal relationship with his now going to be future spouse, and you need to be doing the same. I'm going to say this again because it's important. He invites his vertical relationship within God to his horizontal relationship with this, with this girl, and you and I need to be doing the same. And so if you are single in this room, which tons of you guys raised your hand for, you need to be praying regularly for your future spouse. And if you're in a relationship, you need not to isolate yourself from godly counsel, and you also need to be asking God, like, God, is this the person you have for me? Like, look, my hormones and my pheromones, a bunch of things are fluctuating, they go crazy, right? Is this the person that you actually have for me? I'm gonna tell you another thing that's gonna offend you, because I'm an equal, op- I wanna offend everybody. Um, if you are in this room and you're currently in a relationship that's sexually active, I can promise you that that's not the person for you, at least not in this season of your life right now. Why? Why can I say something so harsh? Because God cannot bless your relationship if it's unblessable. It's pretty simple, right? And you can't continue to walk, you can't expect to walk into God's blessing and provision over your future if you're walking in disobedience today, right? Look, that doesn't say that this isn't the person for you someday. It just means at this point in your life with this person, there's some things that you probably need to work through and make God priority of utmost importance in your life. I say all this because this. This individual is not going to love you right if they're not in a right relationship with God. They are not going to love you right if they are not in a right relationship with God and vice versa. You will not love them right if you are not in a right relationship with God. So let me ask you a question. If you are in a relationship now, what role does God play in your relationship? When I uh, asked Doyle if I could marry his daughter, I took him to Fish Company. It's a restaurant over here. I spent all my monies. And um, we sat down and, you know, I'm, you know, he knows why we're there. And I spent six hours before all that prepping for any question he could possibly throw my way, you know? Like, uh, 
how are you going to support my daughter? I'm like, well, if you look on page 67 of the packet I gave you, you know, like, coming up with, like, every variation. I watched, like, all these videos, you know, like, what, what, do, what do men ask, you know, whatever. Um, what's the best, you know, answer, right? How do I sweep him off his feet, too? Um, and uh, he, asked, he asked a bunch of questions that I had not expected. He's like, that's cool, that's great. I just got a few questions for you. I'm like, prepped, like, like you know, like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, he goes, what role does God play in your relationship, has played in your relationship, and will continue to play in your relationship with my daughter? I was like, uh, it's not in the PowerPoint. Um, we will love the Lord our God with all our heart. You know, like, I was like, I, that was a great question, right? What role is he currently? Has he in the past? And how will you lead God? How will you lead my daughter into a deeper and more meaningful relationship with God in the future? Right? So that's my question for you. What role does God play in your relationship today? And how has God led your relationship? If you both are truly seeking God in your relationship, you should be able to answer that question. Godly principle number three, selectivity. So we're now fast-forwarding to a new generation, one generation after Isaac, and the main character now is our, is our man, our boy, Jacob. He's on the search for a wife, and so obviously he's on Tinder, he's going to the club. Just kidding, he's not doing any of those things. He's at the well like the last story. Now, what you need to know is the well of ancient cities were like the social hub, like the modern-day Starbucks, all right? And instead of pulling up like cookie and cream, frappuccinos, whatever, just pulling up water for their households and families, things like that, right? And so um, he's at the well, and here's what happens in Genesis chapters 29, verses 9 through 11. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with his father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. Kind of dramatic, right? I Maybe one of the weirdest verses I've ever come across. He meets her, he kisses her, and then he weeps. Ladies, can you imagine, like, being on a date with a guy, and it ends, and he, like, kisses you, and he just goes, it's <laughs> so, so beautiful. Like, you'd be like, that's a red flag. Okay, like, this is weird, right? I don't know. This is crazy. I don't know what you do. I don't know what I do, but it's weird. All right. Um, all right, verse 15. Uh, then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, uh, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what should your wages be? Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Verse 17 is wild. Leah's eyes were weak. Legit, in the commentaries, it means she probably had a lazy eye. Savage, all right? Um, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance, all right? Literally, one translation says, Rachel was lovely in every way, quote, had a shapely figure. Wild, all right? Which means Leah wasn't beautiful in his eyes. Rachel was as curvy as a mountain road. That's basically what it translates to. I'm just telling you what it means in the Greek, all right? I'm just saying. It's in the Bible, all right? All right. Uh, verse 18 says this, <laughs> Jacob loved Rachel and he said, I'll serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. So both daughters are at the watering hole, right? But Jacob is selective and he knows the one he wants. Now look, you're like, did the pastor just tell me that I need to find somebody that's thicker than a bowl of oatmeal? That's what he wants. No, that's not what I'm saying, all right? What, what I'm saying, what, what I'm saying and, and what this verse is not communicating is that you need to pick somebody off physical appearance. It can appear that way until you do a little bit more of commentary and, 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 and some study into it. Because here's what really happened in this. Part of the story that we don't get to go into tonight is where Jacob would have known a lot of things about this girl because their families knew each other. And his, her family would have known tons about him. They would have known each other, all right? He was not picking her just off of physical appearance. That's wrong, degrading, and evil, and it's what pornography is teaching a generation of men to do. Pick your mate and the person you're going to date based off their physical attributes. That's, that's a horrific way to date. So in our culture, we're, we are, um, we're also selective in certain ways, right? Um, we date, we get to choose who we date. What I'm telling you is choose well, select well, and be serious about who you are going to share your heart and your future with because you are of utmost value. 
Here's also why. God intends marriage to be lifelong. I gave you a definition of marriage last week. One man, one woman for, in a one flesh union for one lifetime. That's, that's a biblical definition of marriage. So another thing is I want, it's important that you date long enough to get to know the person. You seek counsel, people outside of your relationship, and invite God into your relationship. I had three people in my life um, that I, uh, when I was about, when I was thinking about proposing, I had three people in my life that I went to, and if they told me no, I was not going to propose. Do you have the same people in your life? I, 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 one of them was my counselor. <laughs> I sat with every Tuesday morning. Um, and if this person told me no, and I had two other godly figures in my life, I thought they would have seen something inside me that was unresolved in me that would inhibit me from having the relationship of abundance that God wanted me to have. Do you have people that can tell you no and do you listen to? That's an important thing. Seek godly counsel, then listen to them. Surrender to their counsel. Again, be, uh, choose well in who you, in you have godly counsel, right? Because you may have somebody that just doesn't like the person you're dating um, because of a lack of chemistry between them, whatever it is, a personality thing, whatever, right? So choose, choose, choose well in that as well. But here's another thing that I want to encourage you guys to do. I want you to write out a list of non-negotiables. Like, this is of utmost importance. I had a list of 10 non-negotiables. I'm going to give you four in a second. I had a list of 10 things that I wanted for my future spouse, and they were non-negotiables. Like, this is the person I want. Number one, I wanted them to love the Lord. How did I define love the Lord? How did I make it quantifiable, measurable in some sense? I wanted them to be actively involved in church, actively involved in a life group or in serving in some capacity in some way. That's how, I, and yes, they had a personal, private um, a prayer life and things along those lines. Uh, number two was I wanted them to be okay with me being in ministry and even better if they were in ministry themselves. Number uh, three was I wanted them to have gone to counseling. I was a dumpster fire of a person. Now I'm just a little trash can fire, but I'm still a fire nonetheless. And I, and I know that regardless of how well or good, let's say, your family was. We all come up and out of our families with some family of origin issues, it hurts, habits, and hang-ups, right? I wanted my future spouse to have processed that a little bit, start cleaning out their closet. And finally, our number four, I wanted them to be a virgin. Now, why, how could I make a claim like that? And that was because at that time, I was a virgin, right? And so I could make that requirement only because I was one myself. Now, if I wasn't a virgin, would that have been right for me? No, of course not. I can only expect that which I am, Right? And so I want you to create a list of a minimum of five, hopefully 10, non-negotiables, but sit down with God, maybe fast, and go, God, help me write a list of non-negotiables so I can get through the noise. <laughs> I can speed date everybody until I get to the real person, right? But I know who's, who's going to be a no because I know what I want for a yes, right? Godly principle number four, sacrifice. So you may have glanced right over uh, a part of the verse that we just read. It says Jacob worked for seven years to get this girl, all right? That's sacrifice, but it was worth it because the sacrifice was because he loved her. Go to verse 20 with me. It says this. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and that seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Aww. Let's pray. I'm just kidding. Um, all right. Seven long years he's working for his father-in-law. I also work for my father-in-law. <laughs> um, and that would give him the opportunity to get close to her, really get to know her, and her family. And the sacrifice was worth the payoff because the opportunity was given to him to really inform him of who she was and was she worth giving his life for. Make no mistakes, friends. That's what marriage is. You giving your life to that person. That's what it is. See, when Scripture says to not have sex before marriage, 
It says that because the sacrifice is worth the payoff for tons of reasons we don't have time to go into today, and I'm going to go into when we talk about sex um, in the next few weeks. But one of them is because you will always connect sex to a lifelong commitment. You'll have no other idea of it other than, oh, it's for lifelong now. Uh, when Scripture says to seek God first for other relationships, it's because the sacrifice is worth the payoff. You will love them rightly because you have a right relationship with the author of love. When Scripture indirectly says to be patient, slow, observing in the dating process, it's because the sacrifice is always worth the payoff. In this case, we'll ensure the relationship is not built off hormones, horniness, or pheromones. <laughs> You're really going to know, is this the person I want to be with, right? And it's the person that God wants me to be with. Godly principle number five, steadfastness. Really, the word was faithfulness, but I needed to have an S. Steadfastness is really all about this. It's about enduringness needed to pursue a relationship based off of righteousness and holiness. Here's, I'll give you a few quantifiable ideas for this. It means that um, you're going to close the door to divorce in your future. Like, it's not an option in my relationship with my wife. It's not something we joke about. It's just not an option. Now, there are, in Scripture, ways that biblical permissions to get divorced I think my wife and I have a type of relationship where neither of those ones are going to happen. I don't think she's ever going to be unfaithful to me. Um, by the way, no, no, that, that stuff doesn't just happen. It's not like one day you just wake up and you're like, now I'm sleeping with somebody else, right? There's a plethora of unresolved issues, um, a willingness not to reconcile that built up a lot of frustration and anger, which gives me another principle. Always move towards reconciliation. Pursue reconciliation. So my wife and I, even if we're angry with each other, we have made a Commitment in our relationship never to go to bed angry at each other. Now, what I mean by that is I'm still, I still like maybe sleeping and I'm angry, but at least we've had a conversation about it. Number three, it means you're going to delay your desire for instant sexual gratification, which I realize is hard, right? Like to be a human being, one of the facets of it is to, in, in essence, be a sexual creature that has urges, Right? But it means that if we're going to honor God in a relationship, you're going to delay sexual gratification for your future, not instant sexual gratification, delayed sexual gratification. By the way, you already do this in other areas of your life. If you have a 401k, you are denying yourself something now, more freedom in your finances, for delayed gratification later, capital gains and all of that, right? I promise the same happens in this area as well. Um, Four, it means that you're, you're going to make sure the two of you are pursuing God, being obedient, and engaged in the community God left here on earth. Call the church. You're both at church. And lastly, it means in that you won't move in with each other no matter how much financial sense it makes because it makes no sense for a Christian. And look, I realize I've had couples like, well, no, it makes more financial sense. Like, yeah, where's that? Does it say that thou shalt be in always financial good standings? No, it says pursue holiness the sexual immorality that all, the word is pornea, and it, and, and it was translated in the King James for fornication, but it means all sexual activity outside of the bounds of marriage. All sexual activity. And when I mean all sexual, all sexual activity is for the confines of marriage. It's not, it's not where is the line, like how far can I get to until I fall off the cliff. It's when's the time. In the book of Song of Solomon, it says, do not awaken or arouse lust until it's appropriate time. So it's not where's the line, with my boyfriend or girlfriend? It's the wrong question. It's when is the time? The time for all sexual activities in the confines of a marriage. Here's my promise. If you're willing to date right, you're going to set yourself up well to have a strong marriage, one that really does stand the test of life's up and downs. You're going to have a partner for life. Man, I can tell you marriage is so much better than I ever thought it was. I needed two things when I was around your age. I needed one, a model of marriage that was better than the one that I saw. 
So my encouragement for you is one, identify a model by identifying a mentor. For me, I had a handful of people in this church that were a lot older, that were married for 30, 40, or 50 years. And I just looked in there and said, wow, marriage could be so much more fulfilling, like so much more like awesome than I ever, like I, marriage is literally the best invention God ever came up with. Like I, I love being married. And it is so much better than I ever thought it could have ever been because I found a new model because I found new mentors. And that is my prayer for you guys, that you would be able to date well by following the principles we talked about, but godly principles, working to stay uh, sexually, let's say, abstinent, regardless of your past. We talked about this last week. Look, if you do have a past where you've messed up with your boyfriend or girlfriend or you've had a sexual history in your past, the Bible says that he takes that sin and throws it into the deepest ocean as far as the east is from the west. It is no longer in God's memory, and he can make you new, a new creation of what Scripture says, and I believe that, holy. But you have to, you have to now live differently in light of that, right? And so here's, here's what I'll end up kind of wrapping up with before I get you guys in the groups. I think we could agree that it's a lot easier to get into a relationship than to live through a bad relationship. So what we're talking about today is of utmost importance, because your future marriage will either be heaven or hell. It'll be a hell on earth or heaven on earth, but... You develop your stairway to either right here and right now with the principles that you're following and how you date. So that's what I want to spend some time talking about in your guys' groups. Put your arm around somebody. I'm going to pray for you guys. And if you're new, by the way, um, when you walked in, you should have gotten some discussion questions. Um, if not, they should be on that table. You're going to break up into groups for about 15 minutes or so, um, and then I'm going to close up at the end. Let's pray. Father, today we thank you that you are a good God that had created us on purpose and for a purpose, and that means that everything this side of heaven has a purpose, including dating and sex and marriage and all of that, and sexuality, all of it. So Father, we ask that you would continue to teach us your ways so that we can live in the abundance, God, that you have for us. Lord God, we thank you, we love you. It's in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast. For more information about our services, events, and ways to get involved, head on over to scgchurch.org. Thanks again for listening.